Hi everyone, I'm Margot Faraci. Welcome to Heart and Hustle, How to Thrive in a Crisis. Today, I'm talking with Paul Scott. Paul's an advisor to some of Australia's fastest growing digital and IT businesses. Over the past 20 years, Paul has spent his career building world-class digital experiences for organisations big and small around the world, including the Bahrain government, India's first national 4G mobile service provider, and TNT, the global express delivery company, amongst other things. He's also co-author of the book Beyond Agile. In a time when businesses can't afford to overrun on projects, seeking fast, efficient and flexible ways or agile ways to solve problems has never been more important. Paul, thanks for making the time to join us. Thank you, Margaret. It's good to be here. Paul, you have deep global experience in driving new ways of doing things and you understand the change process really well. In your book, Beyond Agile, you say, and I quote, we resist change on a fundamental level because many of us have a low tolerance for ambiguity and uncertainty, unquote. And now we find ourselves in a pandemic which has accelerated change all across all aspects of life. I think of the arguments I've had being trusted to work from home over the last decade and a half, and I'm pretty sure no one's ever going to have those arguments again. Are you hopeful that our attitude to change can, well, change? I'd like to think so. And I do think the experience of the last seven months has proved beyond all questionable doubt that change is not necessarily a bad thing. And although it may be very confronting, and there's a lot of uh, pain and suffering involved in obviously what we've gone through with the pandemic, um, the positives that have come out of it have been just as profound as the negatives. Yeah. Uh, and I do think that it, it gives people the opportunity to reflect on the fact that change is not necessarily a bad thing. It can be a good thing if you have the right mindset. What are some of the positives that you're referring to, Paul? So, so I'm thinking in terms of, uh, from a business context, if you look at what's happened in some of the more uh, institutionalised businesses, uh, not just in Australia, but around the world, yeah. um, that have resisted change because they felt that it might compromise their business or there would be a risk to them or there would be a loss of uh, money or customers. Um, and, and the truth is, most of the, the large institutions have found ways to make it work. I mean, clearly, there are certain industries that have suffered significantly more than others, yes. the travel sector, the services sector, restaurants, cafes, etc. But even there, you know, they've found ways to, to um, either deploy their staff in, into new roles mm -hmm. uh, or to find ways to keep them connected to their community until such a time as they can find them, you know, decent work to do again. And, and there's a whole mindset now about opportunity and, and possibility because we, we just have to have one. We have to. I mean, there, isn't, there really isn't any choice. There have been a couple of companies that, that I've been working with over the last seven months who, who really exhibited this. A large insurance company based here in, mm -hmm. in Sydney, 7,000 staff mm -hmm. in their office, uh, had resisted remote working, you know, really strongly Had said, you know, that's just not for us. We need to have our people <laughs> within the four walls of our building. You know, it's too much of a security risk. And how do we know that they're going to be sitting at their desks at nine o'clock in the morning? Literally overnight. Yeah. 7,000 people sent to work at home. Yeah. 7,000 people requiring a laptop and needing secure access to their systems within 10 days the entire company was operating 
as efficiently as it had been when they'd been sitting in the, at their desk within those four walls. What a surprise. I always think, you know, if you think you need to see your staff every day and be looking over their shoulder at what they're doing, then you've probably hired the wrong people. And that's on you as well, the leader. Absolutely. And, Not on and, them. And the great, uh, again, one of the wonderful things that's come out of this um, pandemic is uh, an opportunity for us to explore different ways of working um, because we have to, we don't have a choice. And I think that it's it's demonstrated, you know, what is important if you want to collaborate with people and have people work effectively in a remote environment, what are the important things to them? You know, we've learned a lot about um, how people can balance their work and home lives effectively and be more productive. Uh, we did some research back in March uh, to look at how people were actually performing within one of the companies we were working with there was something like a 30 percent uplift in productivity yeah. amongst one group of people yeah because they weren't having to commute yeah they could be online when they needed to be online mm -hmm. they were able to balance out their work and their mm. their private lives and they were much happier as people over a period of time some interesting things then came out in terms of their mental health because yeah. not everybody can handle that kind of environment yes. very well and they needed support and their employer put in place some support mechanisms to help people because it can be a very lonely experience. If you're a single mum or you're a single dad sitting at home and you've got a kid to look after no, and you've got to much. do this, it's just too much. Just and you've got to much. be able to find ways to, to let them balance their work and, uh, and their life balance. I think this is the thing that um, so many organisations find it hard to understand is there is no one size fits all. It's, it actually depends on the individual and how they're managing it themselves. And they, but we need to give them the tools to manage it themselves. One, um, one rule I heard uh, from a CEO this week was he's just banned all Zooms between 12 and 2 Spot in the middle on. of the day. Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't, I'm not, this organisation is not going to ask you to be sitting on your bottom in front of a screen in the middle of the day. So I'm not going to do it. You can be on the phone if you want, but that means you can be talking you can, as you walk around. Um, but we're not going to have Zooms. We're actually just not going to allow it to happen. And so I thought that was a great, just a great message because there's but so many would, people. Who would have known that? Who would have known? Who would have yeah. known that back yeah. in December last year? 100%. Nobody would be thinking about, oh, we need to make sure there's a period of the day where people are not actually on a Zoom call. Yeah. Because otherwise you'll be on a Zoom call for eight hours and not do anything else. That's exactly right. Yeah, it's yeah. terrible for your health. Yeah. You also talk in your book about expectations influencing people's experiences. I'm wondering when we're thinking about business conditions, is that also the true? Do business conditions expectations become self-fulfilling? So if we expect as business leaders a long, deep recession, are we more certain to get one? I, I firmly believe that these things do um, result from manifestation. So if you've got it in your head that there's going to be a recession and you're planning your life and your work around the fact there is going to be a recession, the chances are there will be a recession. If you plan it around, how can I make sure that my business survives and that I survive in the, if that scenario happens and start planning for things that perhaps are outside your domain normally and get involved in those, you'd be surprised what 
is possible. You know, it's taking that kind of positive, turning the negative into a positive and working out how do I actually prepare myself and my business for that eventuality, but do something which is going to be progressive, positive, and moving me on rather than kind of shutting me down and preventing me from seeing the opportunities that there might be out there. And it's not to say that we, it's not okay to have fear. You know, it's, it's, it's really important to have fear because it keeps us safe, right? Yeah, of course it does. <laughs> um, but it's and it's a under- powerful energy. It's a powerful energy. Yeah. It, I mean, it gives us vigilance. It is amazing to see, you know, you can put two business owners side by side in exactly the same conditions and one's going to see the opportunity and the other one is going to contract. And if enough contract, then that is what will create a long, deep recession. Absolutely. There was a, there's um, a company I, I was working with in Sydney in April um, who are a travel card company. And um, they had a small uh, customer service operation, 16 people spending their lives on the phones all day long, mm-hmm. answering customer queries and doing outbound sales. Their business basically shut down with yeah. the travel business. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the CEO came to us and said, well, what are we going to do? And um, we said, well, you've got a really talented team here. Let's see if we can try and find somebody in Sydney that's looking for customer service. Mm-hmm. We found three companies almost immediately that had suffered um, shutdowns of their offshore centres uh-huh. in India and in the Philippines and needed to have an onshore capability yes. and needed to ramp it up really yes. quickly. And, and I can quote you three or four examples of, of organisations that I've worked with over the last six months who've done exactly that. They say there has but to be something. They've got to do something yeah. because they need to have onshore capability and they've used this opportunity to to prove to themselves that that can happen and that they can do it in, in a very efficient way. It's pretty inspirational. Yeah. You say being innovative has nothing to do with having innovative ideas. You say the key to innovation is actually having the right culture. You also say a crisis really helps that. So what innovation can we expect from this crisis? And also what advice would you give business leaders about using the crisis to create a culture of innovation? So so what I've observed around uh, successful innovation is it tends to happen in a collaborative way. It's very rare for just one individual to go out there and change the world with an individual innovative idea and I do think what this crisis has done is to provide people the opportunity to understand the power of cross-functional teams and removing hierarchy so so one of the observations again I'd make around what's happened in the last six or seven months is because companies have had to think outside the box it's caused them to remove a lot of the hierarchy that's existed Mm -hmm. within those organizations and allow people to collaborate in a very very fluid and non-friction driven way so i think actually um that innovation will will begin to to drive the economy in a way we've never seen before there will be a lot more uh new things happening and different ways of working as a result of, the, of what's happened over the last six or seven months and it's incredibly positive to see that happen are you are you calling the uh, collapse of the organisational hierarchy, Paul? I'm I'm calling it. I, th- <laughs> I, I love it. I am. I'm calling it. I, I really think actually that that uh, that the you know purpose driven organisations and organisations who are uh, really concerned about the impact that they're having on society and the impact they're having on their customers and their end users now is their moment. Now is the time for those organisations to prove the worth of a truly purpose-driven organisation. So if you're, a, if you're a business owner, business leader listening, you know, how do you 
stop being the boss so much, I guess, and allow that to happen? Well, there's, um, uh, there was a wonderful uh, book that came out recently called um, Cult Status mm-hmm. by Tim Duggan. Mm-hmm. And uh, Tim talks about this, uh, this, this whole idea of managing from the middle mm-hmm. uh, and leading from the middle. Yeah. And that, that, that con- I really identify with that concept. I think, um, I think the days of, of you know, the leader having to be the person that is reported to by X number of people and the person who has the, the kind of responsibility for the drive and the vision and everything mm. within the organisation, I think those days are, are pretty much over. Yeah. It's now more a case of working out if you've got um, a resource around you, a group of people around you, all of whom have got specific roles talents capabilities your job as a leader is to release them is to get them (laughs) optimized to get them doing the things that they love doing and to feel energized around that Mm -hmm. um i i profoundly believe this is this is the moment this is going to become the model for the future and for the people who aren't the boss how do they release themselves how do they um, make sure they can bring out what's in them and stop looking to the boss because that's there's a lot of pressure on the leader, right? There is, yeah. there is, and and you know I think that's why you know perhaps a lot of leaders are not as effective as they could be because their their mind is kind of conditioned to think about well yes I've got to manage these people and you know I'm the governance here I I need to be steering mm. them. Um, uh, you know I'm working with a small organisation called Digital Village mm-hmm. here in in Sydney. Uh, run by Jason Hardy, and and he's one of these people who who he's setting people free within the organisation <laughs> to to do what they want, you know, and not do what they want. But I mean, there are boundaries, yeah. but it but they're boundaries that people agree to. Yeah. Um. You know, we kind of set a framework, and and people can work within that. But what they actually achieve and what they do is really down to them. They've got to take responsibility and accountability, and feel that they can make a difference. Yeah. Well, with empowerment um, becomes uh, comes accountability, completely. and that's the beautiful thing if you're the boss you don't have to be accountable for absolutely everything i think that's very exciting so paul you've worked all over the world and you've landed in australia now you've seen attitudes to change all over the world Mm. i'm wondering what as a community you've noticed about the australian business sector and our attitudes to change um, okay, so there are going to be some people who won't like me for saying this, <laughs> but I, I think there's a, there's a degree of conservatism in Australia, uh, which I was which I, I was actually quite surprised about because I, that's not the impression yeah. that I had of Australia uh, from an outside yeah. perspective. So you know, I've I've done large transformation projects in in India, in the Middle East, and South Africa, and the States. Um, uh, and all of them have their challenges around, yeah. you know, um, causing transformation to happen. Um, but but so, for example, in India, um, we, we built a customer service operation for Reliance Geo, who are now the second largest service provider in the world with 300 million customers. You can even begin to imagine what that's like. But they are extraordinary at mobilizing people. So it is a very hierarchical environment. Yeah. Um, but once you've got the sort of core um, group of leaders convinced that change is a good thing, they can mobilise oh, the most extraordinary change incredibly quickly. Yeah. Um, and and you know, in in same in South Africa actually. South right. Africa is one of the places, in fact, where, where change happens so fast that you you really kind of just have to hold your breath. Yeah. Um, but but I did feel when I came to Australia and um, 
um, started getting involved in some of the transformation projects I've, I've been involved in, uh, how conservative Australians can be when that's not the persona that they put out, you know. They're usually seen as quite outward going, you know, let's give it a try, you know, have a go. But when you say, okay, so what we're going to be doing is X, Y, well, I'm not sure about that. You know? I think we're good at having a go when we're backpacking through Europe. <laughs> That's <laughs> right, yes. when you're back yeah. and you've got a stable job. This yes. is, and maybe it's something to do with we just have it really good here. Maybe we just don't have is, the impetus, the catalyst. Be. Why change? Yeah, it, why know, change? What, yeah, what's, yeah. You know, what's, yeah. what's not what's to like? What's the upside? Yeah, that's what's the upside? I wonder yes. if there's something in that. Last question, Paul, mm. with your accent, I'm sure you were going to be going somewhere this year. So yes. where haven't you gone this year and what's happened to that? Well, I haven't gone to the UK. Mm. So, yes, I am British. And uh, uh, my family's in the UK. So my son and daughter are both in London. They've, they've been in lockdown. So is my sister. And th- it's been a very tough time for them. Yeah. But again, of course, like a lot of people, we've experienced greater connection as a result of what's gone on uh, than we ever had before. I mean, we're on we're on Zoom calls once a week and, you know, we're, we're as connected as we can be. And But I wish I could have been able to get to the UK this year. That would have been the first place that I want to get to. And uh, my wife's family are there as well. So, you yeah, know, we're missing missing family. Um, we were going to go to Turkey as well. Um, and, oh gosh! Uh, yeah, I uh, really love Turkey. My my uh, son's partner's Turkish, and right. uh, we were going to visit her family in southern Turkey. But so hopefully next year. Are you going regional hopefully. New South Wales instead, Paul? We are doing regional. Like everyone like, else, who isn't, isn't this fantastic for New South Wales? Maybe somebody who isn't doing regional yeah. New South Wales. Yeah, and, and I've only been here for five years, so yeah. I've got a lot of exploring to do. Um, so I'm, I'm looking forward to just getting in the car and driving. Yeah. Interesting. Paul, it's been uh, informative and inspirational talking to you. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much, Margaret. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. I hope from this you've got some ideas and some themes about how to thrive in a crisis. Now, you can definitely hit the subscribe button if you want to hear more of the show and give us a rating as well. Thanks again for listening. See you soon. Mm-hmm.